You are in a teaching series called Love Is, and we're making our way through one of the great chapters of the Bible, 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. And so I want to invite you to take your Bible this morning and find 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. It's really often been called, for nearly 2,000 years now, the love chapter of the Bible. When we began the study a few weeks ago, one of our members emailed this to me. It's, a, uh, it's some of the responses given from children ages 5 to 10 when they were asked questions on the subject of love. Glenn, age 7, said, if falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes way too long. John, age 9, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be as painful. <laughs> Manual, age 8, no one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. Manuel's definitely on to something there. Greg, age eight. Once I'm done with kindergarten, I think I'll find me a wife. Okay, Greg. Kenny, age seven. One of you should know how to use a credit card because even if you have tons of love, there's still gonna be lots of bills. Kenny's on to something there, isn't he? Anita, age nine. I'm not rushing into being in love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. Angie, age 10. A man and a woman promise to go through sickness and illness and diseases together. I've, I've had the flu this week, and now Kathy has the flu, so I can, I can relate to what Angie's talking about there. Here's Marion, age 10. Being single is better for the simple reason is that I wouldn't want to have to change diapers. I probably would just phone my mother and have her to, and have her to come over, and we'd have coffee and do some diaper changing. Kristen, age 10. Love is foolish but I, I might still try it sometime. David, age eight, love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. <laughs> love, the love chapter of the Bible. If you're not as familiar, or maybe you don't think that you're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as we begin reading it in a moment, you'll find that you probably recognize it because often in weddings, 1 Corinthians 13 is read. Now, when Paul was writing it, he didn't have in mind weddings. He actually was writing to a church, and he was writing to a church that was growing, but it was having some issues. In fact, the people in the church were having some difficulty getting along. Now, God was working in the church, and again, the church was growing. The, the Christians were experiencing a lot of the manifestations of the, of the Holy Spirit, and, and they have a, had a giftedness about them, and they were exercising those spiritual gifts, but they began kind of becoming envious of different gifts prideful if they had some of the more special 
gifts, like, for example, speaking in tongues and the gift of healing. Uh, People were jealous of those, and those who had those gifts were becoming very prideful. And so there was some division that was taking place in the church, and in fact, even to the point that they were even taking one another to court, suing one another over some very trivial things. So in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's writing to the church, and he says to the church, he says, you you guys have, have got it all backwards. You're thinking that influence and power and miraculous gifts, that that's, that that's something, and that's the main thing in the church, but he goes, that's the least of the gifts. That's the least of the main things. In fact, the greatest thing is love, and that's what you're missing. You have this gift, and you have this gift, and this gift, this gift, but you're missing the main ingredient. It's love. And if you don't have love, then it's all in vain. And Paul writes to the church, and he says, listen, there's something that God has that's better, better for you. And you see, when I began thinking several months ago about our church and what God's been doing in our church and how God's been blessing our church and coming out of COVID, our church is growing and what we're so grateful for our newer people and newer families and people are exercising various gifts in the church. And I just want us, as we continue to grow, to not miss the main thing. And the main thing is love. First Corinthians chapter 13, if you're new here at Cottage Hill, what we do in the initial reading of God's word, we stand together. And I want to invite you to stand and remain standing as I read aloud 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse number one. Paul, again, is writing to the church. And he says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith as even to remove mountains, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver even up my body to be burned, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on having its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. 
So now faith, hope, and love abide. The greatest of these is, say it, love. Remain standing for just a moment. Paul says, you've got it all wrong. Church, it's three main ingredients. It's not power, prestige, influence, giftedness. It's faith, it's hope, and it's love. And the greatest is love. So this morning, we're going to talk about those three and how those three are the greatest and how they relate and how even love itself is even beyond faith and hope. But to help us understand how the three are connected, I want us to look at Colossians chapter one. Just look at the screen. Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse number three. Again, Paul's writing to the church. He says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now look up here before we're seated. Here's what Paul says. Paul says in essence, in fact, there's this thread that runs all throughout the New Testament to the church of what Christ expects of us. Faith, hope, love. Here's what Paul says. You and I in this Christian life are to rely in faith. We are to rest in hope and we are to remain in love. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Take your pencil, your pen, and I want us to walk through that together. First of all, what Christ expects of you and me. Number one, to rely on faith. Now, first of all, what is faith? And why is faith important? Well, you may want to write this down in your notes because Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number six tells us that it is impossible to please God apart from faith. Look at it. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who? God. You can't even get started in pleasing God apart from faith. Faith is crucial. Faith is essential. Why does Paul say that faith is so important in the church? Is because faith is the only way that in your life and through your life you can ever please God. Faith. Now, the question we have to ask is, okay, faith is important to God, clearly. It's how I'm going to please him with my life. When I get up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and begin my week, and I want this day, this week, to please God, how do I do it? Well, evidently, I must live by faith. Well, where does faith come from? Faith, the origin of faith, is God. The origin of faith is God. Write this down in your notes. The book of Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17. So faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Faith comes from God. The origin of faith is God, but the instrument of faith is the Bible, is the word of God. So you don't, you can't just leave here today saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm, the pastor encouraged me and he fired me up. And you know what? I'm just going to today and in my life, I'm going to muster up 
some faith. You cannot muster up faith. You cannot build up faith. There is nothing that you can do in and of yourself to create or manifest faith. Faith comes from God, but the instrument is his word. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. And so the origin of faith is God. The instrument is his word. But here's the next thing I want us to consider. The object of faith. You don't put your faith in faith. You don't put your faith in yourself. What do you put, what do you put your faith in? You put your faith in Christ. Write this down. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two. Hebrews 12, two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our what? Say it. Faith. You can't create faith. You can't muster up faith. Faith comes from him. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. But faith in what? Faith in Jesus the reason we just sang that song, I speak Jesus, because my faith is not in myself. My faith is not in my bank account. My faith is not in my strength, but my faith is in him. And so we think about the origin of faith. We think about the, the object of faith is Jesus. What's the outcome of faith? What happens if you and I exercise faith? What happens? A couple of verses here. First of all, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Again, the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you that whatever you ask in prayer, believe, have faith that you've received it, and it will be yours. Look at the next verse, write this down, Matthew 9, verse 29. Again, words of Jesus, according to your what? Faith be it done to you. Here's what I want you to understand, look up here. This is so crucial, this is so important. The reason why Paul is saying to the church, it's great that you have these gifts, it's great that you're doing these things, but what you need to understand the the essential ingredient in the Christian life, far beyond any miraculous gift that you might even have, is your faith. Now, faith comes from God. You can't create it. Faith comes from hearing the, hearing the word of God. It's faith not in yourself, but faith in Jesus. But when you exercise faith, when you step out in faith, it releases the power of God. Faith moves mountains. Faith, faith can cause the, the lame to, to walk. It's faith. Faith releases. Jesus says, hey, according to your faith, it'll be done to you. Did you know that in the New Testament, there's only two times in all of the New Testament that says that Jesus was amazed or Jesus was astounded? And you would imagine that we're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, that for him to be surprised by something, amazed by something, it would have to be pretty profound. One of those is found in Mark chapter 6. Let me tell you about it. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes to his hometown. He's returning to his hometown after beginning 
his earthly ministry. It's his second time. And he goes back to preach. And, and man, it's a standing room only that day at church. Everybody is there. They're there to hear him. The Bible says that he's there to teach and preach and do miracles. Do you know what the Bible says? That he could not do any great work there. He could not. He was astounded, the Bible says, amazed at their lack of faith. Faith releases the power of God. But do you know what the lack of faith does? Do you know what unbelief does? It handcuffs the power of God. It handcuffs the power of God. He went to it and he was astounded because he was in church. There were lots of believers there. He was at a place where there should have been faith among a people who should have been a people of faith, but he found none, and therefore he could not do any great work there, the Bible says. The other instance in which Jesus is astounded is that a centurion comes to Jesus, a Roman soldier, not a Jew, but a Gentile. And he says to Jesus, I have a servant that's ill, that's sick, and I believe that you can heal him. And Jesus says, well, take me to him. And the man says, no, no, sir. You see, Rabbi, I am a man of authority. I tell people to go from here to there, and they go from here to there. And I tell people to come from there to here, and they come. And I believe that you are a man of authority. And that if you would just speak it, it would be so. Do you know what the Bible says? that Jesus was astounded at his faith. And he said to him, it's done. And at that moment, that servant was healed. Jesus was astounded two times in scripture. One, where there should have been faith in the church and he found none. And the other, was he was out in the world among a Gentile and he found faith. It's faith, it's faith that, that comes from God, but it's faith that releases the power of God. That's why faith is so crucial. That's why faith is so important in a church. That's why faith is so important in your life. Faith operates in a couple of different ways. Faith either moves the mountain out of your way or faith moves you over the mountain. But it's faith that releases the power of God, amen. And so what does Paul say to the church? What does he desire for you and for me to rely, to rely on faith? Number two, we are to rest in hope. Rest in hope. Now, hope refers to the future dimension of the Christian life. In fact, really kind of a, a literal definition of hope would be hope is the confident expectation of something good. The confident expectation of something good. In the Old Testament, you don't actually see the word hope a lot in the Old Testament. It uses a couple of other words. It uses the word shelter. It uses the word refuge. It has the idea of a, of a cover, a roof, in other words, when everything is crumbling around, around you, that which 
covers you, that which protects you, right? And so in the New Testament, there are lots of different images and pictures of hope. My favorite symbol, my favorite image of all the Bible of hope is the anchor. You may want to write this down. This is such a great verse of scripture. Hebrews chapter six and verse number 19. It says, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Let's leave that up there for just a moment. That scripture. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that just as a, of what an anchor does for a ship, the, the hope does for the soul. And so he says that hope for our souls is like, a, is like an anchor. Now, an anchor, when it's deep, deep down into the ocean, you can't see it. It's there, but you can't see it. It's unseen. Hope is kind of unseen, but it's there. And he says about this hope that we have, that it's, that it's sure and it's steadfast. The idea of sure here, sure, I love that. It means, it means firm. It means in place, in place. Think about this. If you're, if you're on a ship out in the ocean, you have to go down, 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 deep, deep, deep down into the ocean, into the water to get to the anchor. Well, our anchor doesn't go down, 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 but it goes up, up, up. Hebrews 6 says, even behind the curtain, meaning into the holy of holies. That's where our high priest is. That's where our mediator is. That's where our risen savior is. The Bible says that he is our mediator. He is our high priest and he is there at the holy of holies interceding on our behalf. You see, my hope, listen, if you were to ask me today, Alan, how confident are you? How sure are you that you're going to heaven? Listen, I'm so confident I'm so sure it's because I'm going where my anchor is and my anchor is already there. Amen. Paul says hope, which is the anchor of our soul. It's sure you could count on it. It's already there, already there in the Holy of Holies. It's also steadfast and movable. You can count on it. It's there. Steadfast, steadfast, holds up under pressure. We see today in our time and our culture, people are, are cracking all the time. And I want to say to you with boldness this morning that if you have anchored your life in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can weather the storms. You can weather the storms. Back in our, our world in which ships were more prevalent, a ship, if the tide was low, as the ship approached the harbor, if the tide was low, the ship couldn't enter in. But it would lower a small boat, and it would lower its anchor into that boat, and it would take the anchor into the harbor. 
and then lower the anchor in the harbor so that whatever happened during the night, a storm, a gust, a wind, a great difficulty, the ship would be all right because it was already anchored in the harbor. It, was, it had a sure fitting. And then as the tide rose and when the timing was just right, the ship would just ease right in to where the anchor was. The anchor was a guarantee that wherever the anchor was, the ship would be. Paul says, we have this anchor of the soul, our hope, that is steadfast. And one day, one day in that, in God's perfect timing, I know where I'm going because it's been guaranteed 2,000 years ago. I know that when I die, my anchor is sure and steadfast, and I'm just simply going to go where my anchor is, and that is with the Lord. Amen. Yesterday afternoon, I conducted a funeral of a little baby boy who lived six hours. His mom and his dad held him for six hours. And I conducted that funeral and I said to them yesterday afternoon, and they love Jesus. I said, you know, you have questions, I have questions. And we may never have our questions answered this side of heaven. But I know this, I know that God is good and his love is everlasting. And I know that we have a hope and I said to them, just as sure as I am, as I'm standing here in front of you, you will see your baby again. Hope, hope is the anchor of the soul. It's so crucial. It's so important. It's so much greater than any miracle or any giftedness or any influence or any wealth. We're to rely in faith, rest in hope. And remain in love. What does he say? These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now why is love the greatest? Why is love the greatest? Well, we've spent the last three weeks talking about why love is the greatest. You should know by now. Love is patient and kind. It's not envy. Doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude. It doesn't seek after its own. There's a couple of words here we, we haven't covered. Let's just cover them very quickly. Verse number seven, love bears all. Now what that means is, is that love truly cares about people. Love truly cares about people. Love bears all things. That word bears, it literally means to, to roof, to cover. As a matter of fact, literally in the Greek, it's very interesting. It means to cover silently, silently. That's what love does. Love, love doesn't, when someone sins, it doesn't want that person to, to be humiliated in their sin. They just want them to confess their sin. And once they confess it, then guess what? It's covered. 
Jesus is the, is the great example of love, right? It's the great example. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus exposed her sin. You're right that you say what you've said. You've been married multiple times, and the man that you're with right now isn't even your husband. When someone, when, when someone doesn't expose their sin, when, when someone doesn't release their sin, it has to be exposed. That's what love does. But once it's confessed, then love covers. What did Jesus say again and again and again? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And so love covers. When, when someone confesses, let me just give you a scripture. Write this down in your notes very quickly. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You see, love is the greatest because love truly cares about people. Secondly, love believes the best about people. That's what it means in verse number seven. Love bears all things and love believes all things. Now, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that love is gullible. That's not what that means. It just simply means that love believes the best. Jesus, again, the greatest example of love that we have that's ever walked the earth. And Jesus was, nobody would ever say that Jesus was gullible. What it means is, is, is that it's not, it's not, it's not cynical. It's not looking for the wrong. It's not the attitude. You know people that are, that are like that. Those people who are, who are, people are guilty until proven innocent. But Jesus wasn't gullible, but he believed the best. And we need that in the context of the church. I heard the story of a, of a small country church and, and the lady in the church, the, the church gossip, her name was Mildred. And uh, one Sunday after church, one of the newer members, his name was, was, was Frank, and, and she came up to Frank. Frank was talking to some other men, and she said, I saw your car last Thursday at 11 a.m. in front of the bar. And why would anyone be parked at a bar at 11 a.m. if they weren't in that bar and if they were already drinking at 11 a.m., you're an alcoholic. And if you're an alcoholic, which you are, you need to get some help. And she just stormed off. And Frank just walked away. Now, that night, after Frank got off work, he drove his car in front of Mildred's house and he parked in front of his house, her house. And he walked home. Love believes the best about people. What does it say here? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You see, love lasts for all of eternity. If you want to know why love is the greatest, is because love will last forever. Let me just close by giving you this great truth. When you and I get to heaven, did you know that there's not going to be any need for faith in heaven? 
and no need for hope in heaven. In fact, love, love is what dominates heaven. The Bible tells us this, that here on this earth, we don't, we don't, uh, we walk by faith, not by sight, right? Because when we're in heaven, faith is turns to sight. So in heaven, there's no need for faith. There's no need for it. And what is hope? Hope is just simply faith in the future. Well, when we're in heaven, we have before us all of eternity. So there's no need for hope. There's no need for faith. It's love that dominates in heaven. Day after day after day after day, Jesus was asked this question of all the commandments. What's the greatest? What's the most important? What's the most crucial? And Jesus said of all the commandments, the greatest is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. To love the Lord God with all of your your soul, with all of your mind with all of your strength, to love God to the max. And the second next to it is to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, to love others to the max. Have you ever considered that in heaven for all of eternity, all day, every day, those two commandments would be lived out? We will be loving God and experiencing his love to the max. And we'll be loving others and experiencing others' love to the max. Paul says, you've got it all backwards. You've got all your priorities upside down. It's faith. It's hope. It's love. And the greatest that will endure forever and ever and ever is love. And the great news that I have for you this morning is that you can experience that. Here on this earth, now. Romans chapter five, verse number five. Because God's what? Love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You can love God to the max here and now. You can love people like you should now because he has poured his love into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. You have it. You have his spirit. Let's bow our heads together. Let's bow our heads together. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever done that? Have you ever began that journey of faith? I mean, faith is like a muscle. You have to use it. You have to exercise it. You have to step out in faith. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. You've heard the word of God this morning. If you would step out, if you would exercise that faith, God builds in you, God builds through you faith. I'm gonna ask our pastors to come because you see, I believe that there's some here this morning that 
that that's exactly what you need to do today. You need to take that first initial step of faith. This morning, we witnessed the baptism of Colton. And that's what he did just a few days ago. He took that initial step of faith. And God will reward it. God will bless it. God will grow his faith. And so I'm going to pray in just a moment. And and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing together. And give you an opportunity to step out in faith. It may be there's a, there's a mountain that needs to be moved in your life. A mountain of impossibility. And God is either going to have to move that mountain or move you over it. But it may be that he's waiting on you to exercise faith. What is it that you need to do? What is it that you need to do? When he led his people into the land of Canaan, he he required that they put their feet in the water. Then he downed up the, the river. Moses had to put that, that rod in the, in the sea. Then it parted. There, there's an action. There, there's a step. There's a step of obedience. It's the step of obedience. It's that faith that releases the power of God. What do you need to do? Heavenly Father, in these next moments, Lord, I pray for even those that are watching online that they would respond to your call today in faith, to trust. Lord, I pray that you would move mountains today in this place. For some, it's a relationship. For others, it's financial. For some, it's emotional. But God, we pray that you would move mountains today as we exercise faith. God, I pray as a church that we would remain in love. Faith and hope, the greatest is love, Lord, that we would love and We would love you to the max and we would love others to the max as you pour into our hearts through your Holy Spirit, your love. So God, in these moments, be pleased with what you see as we respond in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.